Alrighty, guys. Welcome back to Brolosophy. Philosophy through the eyes of an idiot. That idiot is me. And that idiot is proudly supported by Yeti. So why is Yeti worth it, guys? It's a premium cooler company. Their coolers are, let's be honest, more expensive than the rest of the shitty coolers on the market. So why is Yeti worth it? Well, firstly, you get what you pay for. A high-quality cooler that you never have to replace. Guys, everything that you buy in this day and age is crap. We are consumers. We are not owners. We consume things, products, clothing, um, services. So that's a bad example. But we are not owners. So a cooler like a Yeti cooler is something that you can own for a long time and you'll never have to consume another one, if that makes sense. Superior insulation. A freezer quality gasket and supreme insulation power join forces to deliver unmatched heat and ice retention. So, everybody's been at that party where the beers have gone cold. Oh, damn it. All right, let me rephrase that. Everyone's gone to that party where the beers have gone warm and, uh, you know, you won't be going back to that party the next year, let's be honest. There's nothing worse. So, superior insulation from Yeti. Um, that's, you know, another reason why Yeti's worth it. They're virtually indestructible. This one I really like, guys. So, Yeti have told me 100% straight down the line that these cools have been attacked by bears, chucked out of moving trucks, hit by semis, dropped out of planes, and are still game for more. Now, I've been working with my mate Clay at Yeti, who, uh, who, who, who's my you know, touch point down there, and I've been asking him every week that I want proof of Yeti coolers versus bears. And I'm not sure if it's, you know, three or four Yeti coolers versus a bear. It says bears here. I would actually really think that one bear versus, it would take probably five Yeti coolers to, to beat a bear, I would say. But look, I, well, I, I'm still trying to clarify this this because I don't want to bullshit you guys. You know, I don't want to I don't want to pull the wool over your eyes. It, it says that these coolers have been attacked by bears and, you know, and they're, they're game for more. So I'm working hard to get you the proof that you need. Um, and, you know, stay tuned. Maybe in the next couple of weeks, I'll have something for you on that one. So, five-year warranty on all hard coolers. Proof that our, their products live up to their customers' expectations. Good, good. To learn more about Yeti, guys, head to yeti.com.au forward slash bro. We are also brought to you today by True Protein. Head to trueprotein.com.au forward slash bro, and you'll get 10% off all of their supplement range. I'm not going to do a big read on True Protein. They've been a sponsor of us for a very long time. If you've listened to this show before, you've probably heard me say it a number of different occasions. And that is that they are simply the best in the business. So we love being supported by the best in the business. Yeti are the best in the business. True Protein are the best in the business. And that makes for us for very, very good business. Also, head to athena.co for 20 hours free of our virtual assistant services. So... Guys, basically, what is a virtual... Oh, damn it, Siri. Siri keeps jumping in and trying to tell me what's up. Um, so what are virtual assistant services? So I actually despise the term virtual assistant, but for lack of a better term, we're going to use it. It's our search term. It's the, it's the common term that would refer to what we do, but I really don't like it. Virtual assistants... A virtual assistant is somebody who works inside of your company from abroad. So basically the reason why people would do this is when you're growing a young company, it's hard to scale your team 
Um, you know, it's hard to be a startup and be one, two years in, whatever, and have money to fork out fifty, seventy thousand dollars to grow your team. So that's where we come in. We can help you grow a team member in a quarter of the price, really. And but we don't deal in virtual assistance. That's for lack of a better term, that's what we do. But we really don't. We actually deal in just putting a really talented part-time or full-time team member into your business. And they might be an administrative assistant. They might be a content producer. They might be um, someone who's in HR. They might be a business development manager. The term virtual assistant is a bullshit term. It devalues the person that is on the other end that's working. It's the term that is frowned upon. Unfortunately, for us to grow as a company, we need to dominate that search term in Google. But as soon as somebody becomes a client with us, I tell them to scrap that term, delete it from their vocabulary as soon as humanly possible because it's just it's bullshit. People work virtually all over the world now. And I'm not only talking about people in underprivileged countries, people in Australia, people in the US, people in the United, uh, United Kingdom. They work remotely and they're no different to anyone else. So um, the term virtual assistant just needs to be trampled on and, and squished and squashed and scratched out of it. But to get 20 hours free of virtual assistants, head to athena.co, that's Athena with a Y, and in the inquiry box, put the code BRO and you will activate your 20-hour um, trial. So... Anyway, here's the show. Now, before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one, no touching of the hair or face. And that's it. Yo. Discovery Roger, go for Some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, too rare to die. All right, sweet. Well, we're recording, so we may as well jump into it, eh? Yep. Mate, welcome to the new studio. <laughs> First guest. Thank you, Bill. Pressure's I feel, on, yeah. as I said earlier. <laughs> no, I feel really pumped. It's good to, yeah, check it out. And, yeah, it was cool to see the table and stuff yeah. uh, coming in. Yeah, well, for people that are um, watching good. watching on the uh, on the t- on the TV on the YouTube's, this table that we're uh, we're standing by, Rick Kerr designs. Rick yeah. Kerr, it's like um, it's like the bar in Cheers. You can just kind of like lean yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we need beers. <laughs> it's not past twelve yet, but maybe no, it might be past twelve. Irish whiskey, else, maybe. Yeah. We'll just go <laughs> see where we go with these coffees. But um, yeah, cool. So um, we have Nick Scaraju. Is that pronounced correctly? Uh, Skrayev. Yeah, that's yeah. what I said. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's something that's always haunted my life. Like whenever I get um, phone calls from like insurance companies or, or uh, yeah, or like starting a new job at work or something, it's always incorrect. And it's motivated me to, because I have like no pride whatsoever. I, I don't think there's a coat of arms or anything in the, yeah. in the Scrave family, but... Um, I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to get this changed by Depot one day. And then I bumped into like a lot. I was on a work site like a month ago, well, a couple of months ago, doing some filling work and bumped into my long lost uncle who has the same name because there's only like seven of us in Australia that have Full that on. name. Yeah. And I 
just happened to be on that one work site, working on that same level, bumping in because he had his he had that name stick it on the top of his heart. I'm like, had a double take. I'm like, is that your last name? He's like, yeah. I'm like. I'm related to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, wow, that's weird. Where's the name from? Uh, it's Ukrainian. Um, Ukrainian, yeah, right. Do you reckon this is a little bit close to the... Um, let's push this out an inch. Yeah. This new setup in the new studio. We just had the um, had the table. I was getting a bit crammed in by the wall. Mm. Um, Ukrainian, eh? So there's seven of you. Interesting. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's no... Yeah, there's definitely no pride. <laughs> I certainly can't speak Russian. Mm. I can barely speak English. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's good. I actually had a um, bloke come up to me at uh, Mornington Padua one day, and which is the school I went to, mm. and he walked up and he's like, "Hey, you're Bill Kerr," and I said, "Yeah." He goes. I'm my cousin. I said, no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not, mate. <laughs> I know my cousin. <laughs> His name was, uh, mum's maiden name's Paganoni. And all my cousins are Paganonis. And he's, he was Tom Paganoni. And we were like distantly related. He's actually a ripper bloke. Yeah. We, we were kind of like buddies. I wouldn't call him a cousin though. That's a cool way to break like, the ice. I'm like, yeah. oh, I like your shoes. Um, I think we're related. <laughs> yeah. I like your shoes. You're my dad. <laughs> um, yeah, sweet. So, before the show, I was obviously, uh, we were talking last night, and I was trying to figure out how to introduce you, what would you refer to yourself as, So, but I kind of w- was thinking that um, you're really an endurance racer above all else, right? Would that be right? Correct, yeah. So, if, an endurance, yeah, if I was to turn around uh, and define my life, it would yeah. be around that space, yeah. Yeah, oh, no, so how would you say it? Endurance, um, endurance bike rider. Yeah, uh, ultra distance athlete, yeah. Ultra distance athlete, is yeah. that how you would say it? Okay, So cool. it's kind of a sport that has existed for like 100 years. Yeah. But it's only really, in its current iteration, existed for 10 years. And it's only really boomed in like the last three or four years. Right. Um, so in Australia, like before the kind of the car, the modern car was a thing, uh, there were... Uh, <laughs> guys on very rudimentary bikes that had no gears and solid tires and stuff and would ride and race each other from like town to town and often these towns would be like 200 kilometers apart um yeah that it we've got a really rich in in australia in particular we've got a really rich history of endurance cycling uh we've had yeah a lot of uh record attempts uh there's a statue in Castle Maine of Sir Hubert Opperman mm-hmm. from riding across Australia within a certain time. Mm-hmm. Um, it all come about with me in 2017. So I raced, I was really good friends with the organizer of the Indian Pacific Wheel Race, which was a, so it's a single stage. So like if you look at the Tour de France, it's broken down into days and stages and stuff. Yeah. The Indian Pacific Wheel Race is from, is one Indian, stage. Indian Pacific what? Oh, the Indian Pacific Wheel Race. So it starts at Pacific- the... I can't. Oh, sorry. Uh, wheel race. Wheel race. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah sorry. I just no, when you were why you pronouncing right. it. It sounded like you were saying wool uh, race. Or wool <laughs> race. And I was like, oh yeah. It's uh, so it starts at the Indian Ocean yep. on, on Western Australia and yep. finishes at the Pacific Ocean. And it goes so it's uh, Perth across the Nullarbor Plain to Adelaide, uh, the Great Ocean Road to Victoria, uh, through the mountains to Canberra and then to Sydney. Oh. So yeah, it's. Oh, I can't even remember how long it was now. I think it's uh, four, four four and a half thousand kilometers or maybe slightly longer, 4,700. Yep. But it's, 
um, it was kind of for Australia because there had been events. Well, there's been events going on in Australia for the like the past, uh, sorry in the world for the past ten years. It was kind of like a really new thing to bring over, mm-hmm. and it was like something that Australia had never really seen before. Mm-hmm. And I was really really fortunate to um, to be part of that, and it was gaining this crazy momentum. So this is how you started, you said though, right? It's all yeah, started for me. So, so I, it started for you with this race? I was mates with the guy that um, that organised it. Right. So he had this... I, He's he, like, mate, we need to fill a few spots. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday? Yeah. Well, we had... Um, so we had... Uh, so Jesse Carlson, who is currently in Uluru. So he just rode from t- um, Townsville to Uluru. Yep. Which is yep. a pretty far distance. It's, yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. A few thousand kilometers over pretty remote. Hectic part of the world to ride a bike for that long too. Yeah. So, the gut. Yeah, well, he's a world-class at this sport and had been in America and uh, I think won, won the, the Trans Am, which is kind of, kind of similar. It's from um, uh, Portland to Virginia, so mm-hmm. it's across America, but that's mm-hmm. nearly 7,000 kilometers, so that's actually even longer again. Far and out. it's quite hilly. And he, which I've just come back from, he came second in the Tour Divide, which is from Banff in Canada to Antelope Wells, the Mexican border, mm-hmm. which is a mountain bike race, not on road. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he had this vision of bringing this race and it was gaining this insane momentum. So, it was, I think it was 80 starters. And then as it just kept getting this popularity and getting in the news and as it was going through Adelaide, like the premier of Adelaide had come out into the on onto a, a part of the course which is like you kind of map it out by GPS mm-hmm. and um like to greet the riders and stuff which almost was a nod back to a hundred years ago when these people setting these record attempts like all the townsfolk would come out to yeah. see this rider coming through. Yeah. Yeah. So unfortunately uh a guy that was also one of the best in the world, Mike Hall, lost his life in Canberra. So he was hit by a car mm. At, Far out. Yeah, six o'clock in in the morning in uh, on a stretch called the Monaro Highway. So it was it was amazing race that was getting this like crescendo, and it was getting and like uh, Christophe Allegard, who's Belgian, and Michael, who's uh, British, were like pretty much neck and neck the whole way, mm-hmm. and it was ending. Yeah, it was getting an insane amount of coverage and eyes on it. So yeah, it was really sad. Oh man, and it kind of far out. Oh, that's Killed the sucks. race off officially in that in that accident, and then it's kind of had this half life of this unofficial race. So every year, people will still Do will still race. race it, but it just doesn't have the high profile that it did uh, the first. It's time not an again. official race anymore. No, it's but, not an official event. Yeah, but that's kind of the thing with this type of racing is it's kind of community based. Yeah. So it's like, yep, we're going to meet here at this time. Mm. You know, once. Seven o'clock hits in the morning, then that's it, and we'll see you at the other end, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, right. man, that's so sad, isn't it? Fuck, it is. That's a, and it kind is of there much of that in the sport because r- yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, road they racing just had a guy. Dangerous. Yeah, they just had a guy lose his life on the course that I had just completed a couple of months ago. A sixty-seven-year-old guy was like a hundred miles from the finish, oh, like just man. touring the route, like wasn't. Wasn't, wasn't racing, wasn't and, racing and, and was yeah. collected by a car on like a dead straight road. Uh, one of my good like, buddies, Grandpa, was hit in his morning ride down in Mount Eliza and died. He was only like he was he was his grandfather at 
obviously at, at, at the time. So he was, an old, he was an older boy, but he was only like 61 or something. You know? Yeah, he had plenty, plenty of years left. Yeah, it's man, that's such a such a such a bummer. But I mean, I guess everything has its has its risks, doesn't it? Everything we do, it does. Know? It's like a, a yeah, like a mitigated risk. <clears throat> so it's kind of at at work and like working on construction sites and stuff. You can say so you have like a consequence and a um, and a uh, like it's not coincidence like a uh, likelihood mm-hmm. so it's kind of you really got to you go oh what can I how can I lower the likelihood and how can I lower the consequence and how yeah. can I yeah kind of like w- work out on this mathematical equation the the, yeah. least, the, le- the least likely consequence and risk yeah 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 you have to be really smart about it yeah. um, I have a buddy who's a um, professional skydiver and um yeah, he's talked to me about similar things. And it's actually so sad in their sport. Man. Yeah, he's a well, skydiver well, slash you consider the, jumper. Yeah, you know? and you consider that the consequence, there would never be a consequence that would be lower than really like really bad. serious injuries and stuff. That's yeah. right. That's right. And um, yeah, because he doesn't go on, um, on social media too much. Tommy Sira, he's been on the show a bunch of times, so listeners would, would know when I say Tommy Sira, people that have listened all the way back. But his Facebook is filled up with just, you know, like the in memoriam posts or whatever people put up, like, oh man, you know, I wish you were, you know, around. We had such yeah. great times together. It just seems like the only time I see Cyril on Facebook is like every probably three months, like one of his mates passes away. But that's probably the most high risk sport in the world, really, based yeah. on Scott. I mean, let's be let's be real about it. But um, yeah. So let's let's you know getting off that part of the topic. So mm. when you said um, so this race. Throughout Australia, so it's four or five days, did you say? Uh, the one across Australia was approximately three weeks. Three weeks? Yeah. I don't know where I got four or five oh, days no, no. from. <laughs> uh, there'd be certain records between <laughs> cities and stuff that would be yeah, like weeks. in that um, time period. But yeah, so I think, I don't know what, why, why I thought that, but you said it was in one stage? Correct. So, so it, what does that mean? It means like, so... You just go at your own pace. There's no like... Kind of, the, yeah. The clock doesn't stop and start when you go to have like your nights. And exactly, yeah. Really, so you just do it in your own time. And that's... Get it done. And that's kind of where I kind of excel in it as opposed to conventional bike riding, which I'm somewhat slow <laughs> <laughs> or slow-ish, um, is managing all that stuff around the outside. So mm. I suppose when you look at the Tour de France and conventional bike racing or mm. conventional endurance racing or conventional racing or whatever like running it's like maintaining that threshold making sure that you're eating but then when you're going to ultra distance racing that's kind of you kind of do think about that but you're not really riding at a threshold you're riding at a, at a pace that you can maintain but it's maintaining all that things around you so like saddle sores that's a really big one mm-hmm. um, issues with your hands you, your, your back could get sore you could Bored. run at it Important, yeah, that, that's probably mentally is the hardest part. Um, it's, that imagine. it's like not making, not making the next gas station or petrol station in time, and then they don't have any food. It's like, well, now you're faced with a pretty hard decision. Do you push on for another 200 kilometres and try and get by, or you know, me- mechanical issues? So it's kind of and sleep. Sleep's mm. probably one of the biggest ones as, as well. So it's not really riding about the bike and it has very little to do with your fitness while being on the bike but it's managing everything around yeah, you yeah for sure yeah. it's being a project manager yeah a project management <laughs> yeah. race <laughs> well, it's it, kind of like test cricket yeah that's why I like do you, are you a cricket fan I played cricket when I was a little kid and I was 
for really, really bad. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Fair enough. I like, never played, but like I was so bad that we had a, someone on our team that had Down syndrome, and yeah. he was above me in both the batting <laughs> and the bowling order. Uh, hey, Nick, you're not playing today, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and he got a four, he got a four in one season. I was like, all I want to do is to fucking get a four. Never got a four. Like always, like got like nicks and slips and stuff. And I was like, yeah, this cricket thing ain't, ain't for me. Do you, do you know my uh, my cricketing um, career? Played one game for Sereno in under 14s. Mm. We bowled um, we bowled Mount Eliza out for nine. My mate, <laughs> my mate, my mate Matty Burns took seven for three. It was great. Um, I the only time they wouldn't let me back. They must have thought you're like, man, this guy's a prodigy. Like <laughs> yeah, I don't even know right. why we have him playing. Yeah, it's a good luck. It's a good luck charm. <laughs> um, so they wouldn't let me bat. But in the field, I touched the ball once, and um, we just changed. I didn't really understand that the um, I wasn't really paying attention. Put it that way. Mm. I didn't understand that the um, the we'd been the ends had changed and the wicketkeeper was, instead of being down the other end, so I'm down, I don't know the parts of the cricket field, so I'm down yeah. here, for example. I imagine then, there's an infographic <laughs> overlay as well. You do. Yeah. <laughs> what so, way explaining this? So, so anyway, so um, it's, the over has changed and the wicketkeeper's basically about 10 metres in front of me. I thought he was up the other end of the pitch. Oh. So I've gone for this throw up to the other end of the pitch. I've thrown it off to the left and about 20 metres overthrow. Oh, so instead shit. of just basically could have underarmed it to my mate about 10 metres in front of me, <laughs> I've just thrown this ball. It's gone about 50 metres. It might have gone for a four, I don't know. But then yeah. I, made a, um, I made a really impressive comeback at my mate's, uh, my mate's wedding in um, Crescent Head about two yeah. years ago. <clears throat> I just got off the plane from Mexico. I flew straight to the wedding. I was best man and MC. Oh, I got dogged. I got really yeah, screwed yeah. over there. Um, and what happened was we were playing backyard cricket and I got to bowl an over and I took two wickets and then I got to bat because I took wickets in that over then when I went into bat I hit a six in my first ball I just threw the bat away walked away sometimes <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm a champion cricketer in my own mind I've finished on top you know and they, you were playing by Mexican rules as well yeah, yeah you had to wear sombreros <laughs> skull, skull surveys um, but yeah oh that's pretty interesting yeah the reason I said the cricket thing is that it sounds like I like test cricket because it's a thinking man's game, you know. It's it's a yeah. competitive, you know. You can totally outplay, like you just said. Fitness doesn't really matter all that much. Like in cricket, you can totally outplay your opponent in terms of like bowling and batting and so on and so mm. forth. But you can declare at the wrong time, the rain can fuck you over. You can yeah you know, bat. You can choose to bowl instead of bat. Whatever it is, it can backfire on you because you didn't think your way through it well enough. Mm. Which I think is fascinating. That's why, you know, I think people that don't understand the sport, they don't get as much out of it as people that really do understand it because it's not a spectator sport unless you really know what's going on, you know, the intricacies. And I suppose it sounds like this racing is as much of a tactical... uh, It's like a game of chess, nearly. Not against someone, but like with yourself, I feel like. Yeah. And that's the thing, is at the end of the day, you're ultimately like racing yourself. So it's... Like, it's mentally enduring the discomfort. Yeah. So you're constantly like... And kind of understanding that... Like, your moods and everything in you is so fragile, but, like, you know, even a few days in, that your moods can change at, like, the slightest thing. So, you could, you know, you could drop a can of Coke on the ground and then you're like, this is the worst day ever. It's, it's, it's going to be... Oh, but that's the thing. You're thinking in these absolutes. Yeah. And then... I fucking hate dropping a can of Coke. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll be honest. I'm like that. This is the worst day ever. Yeah. Well, especially when you have, like, like myself with caffeine dependency and, like you're on the limit of like, you know, that can of Coke would have to last you kind of the afternoon. The, en- the energy in that. Yeah, that's the sugar that you actually really need yeah. to keep you going. 
So, um, or you could, yeah, or like see a nice sunset or something and it keeps you really motivated. Mm -hmm. So, you're having these like really peaks and troughs of your emotions Mm -hmm. and quite often you're not thinking completely rationally and stuff like that but it's it is a battle of against yourself with your mind and stuff and you're honestly you you could you know have to walk through a river or there's a muddy section and you know you're up to your knees in mud and you're like oh this is it's just going to be terrible for the next you know week or couple of weeks or whatever you got left and then it's like you've just got to kind of wait it out and eventually you know the bad times pass and yeah yeah like all things mental mm. mental health, I guess, or thoughts and thoughts and moods and so forth. And that's the thing, it's like the stuff that you use to apply to the the tools that you use to apply yourself to riding across the country, which I've now done nearly three times now, um, is the the tools that you use in everyday life. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So when you're on the bike, so you say that, um, you know, say it's a three-week race or whatever, and mm-hmm. obviously sleep is paramount, but how many hours a day are you actually on the bike? Uh, between a short day would be 16, and, and a long day would probably be between, I don't know, 20, 21. What? Yeah. It's hey, like, but... That's not good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're on it. But how like, you, if you're trying to get you, near the pointy end, you'd be on it a lot. Yeah. Wouldn't there be a point of diminishing returns with lack of sleep? Surely. Nah, well, that's the thing. is Sleep's like so important, it's, right? it's, it's crazy how your body can deal with not sleeping. Right. So you that think much. that for a period of time, for, okay, two or three weeks, we know what we have to achieve now. The body knows what it, what the mind is telling the body what we have to do. Yeah. You think it doesn't af- affect performance. So you're just using those extra hours to get extra capital. Well, it's, it's that continual moving forward. And, and it's like uh, where you lose a lot of the time is is predominantly on stopping. So you, it's very rare that someone would like win a race from being the fastest the, the fastest on the road. Yep. It would be they stop the least. Really? So like getting a get uh, like typically all right, so we'll use the Indian Pacific we'll race for an example. So there's two hundred kilometers between towns on the Nullarbor plain. Indian Pacific. So this is the one you talked about earlier. Yes, so this is the one yep. from Perth to Sydney. Yep. All on road. Indian Pacific, yeah, gotcha. So um yeah you'd You'd get to a gas station. You're like, okay, well, I need to eat something that has vegetables in it, mm-hmm. that has fi- that has fibre in it. Veggie pasta. <laughs> yeah. uh, that would dead set be what you would be eating to get vegetables in a lot of time though, right? Yeah, veggie pasta, like um, steak sandwich or egg sandwich with tomato and lettuce and yeah. stuff. And you're like, all right, so now I need to grab like, so 200 kilometers. I always break everything down into time. So yep. 200 kilometers is roughly 10 hours on the bike. Yep. I need to kind of eat something every hour. I eat a lot. So I have to eat something pretty much every hour of maybe two, three hundred calories. So that's about two, three thousand calories that you're looking yep. in that period at the bare minimum. Probably you want probably nearly double that ideally. Yep. So whether it be like grab a loaf of bread, grab. Um, and, and that's the thing. It's like when you're working in these remote towns, it's not like the middle of the city where we live. You know, you can oh, just yeah. kind of get, I'll just get a, I'll just uh, get a double, double, double shot cappuccino uh, egg latte with a yeah. sl- slash of a. But you can't get like vegetable salad or anything like that. It's because like you know you're you're in these remote locations where they can't even get like fresh vegetables mm. and stuff. Mm. It's the desert, yep. so it's like well, they they can only get frozen food. So you're like, well, I'll 
you know, chocolate bars. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 100%. And, and America. That so, makes sense. Yeah. That's what you're doing when you're hiking Mount Everest. Mm. You know, you'll eat food. You'll eat two or three actual meals. Yeah. But then you'll just eat Snickers bars. Yeah. Or, so, or um, you know, the equivalent. In a, so where I just come from in the Tour Divide, so you'd be in the middle of Montana, a gas station. You're like, all right, well, I'll get 10 Cliff Bars. I'll get three, three frozen burritos. Yeah. And then you're like, I'll oh, just warm them up on my back or, yeah, or, or right. whatever, yeah. <laughs> like, 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 just warm them up in the environment. Um, I'll get a couple of honey buns and I'll get two steak sandwiches that I'll, or, or whatever sandwiches that I'll eat now. Yeah. And then and you just carry yeah. a little backpack, do you? Put it all in a little backpack. Uh, I bike. try not to carry anything on my back because, like, sores again. Because saddle sores, you yeah. kind of don't want any, and because uh, I've got a really weak back, anyways. But yeah, yeah, you don't want any friction on the body. So, when yeah. you, you got a little stash on the bike somewhere yeah so like the bike will have this is another infographic that we're overlaying <laughs> <laughs> so the bike will have we're gonna have to hire someone for the infographic yeah, now. yeah. <laughs> so it has ba- so i have a, a reasonably maybe like a five five liters maybe or ma- i think it's between three and five liter bag on the back so yep. they'll have like a bivy sack so that's what i sleep in you mm. probably might have used that in hiking or like an emergency one anyways yeah, yeah so it's yeah. like a reflective it's like an aluminium foil <laughs> sack kind of thing yeah, you get them in your yeah in your um first aid kits yeah so you kind of sleep in a slightly bigger version of that in a ditch on the side of the road Four um miles. i'd have like a little foam it's like a three or four mil foam mat so That's it's just be. enough that i can <laughs> enough that i can pass out on it's so i'll have that right that up on the front exists. yeah yeah <laughs> and then just um yeah just use the rest of the space for food a few like spares for the bike that you might need like a chip Tubes and stuff are pretty yep. important. Yep. If you get a, so you pretty much want to pack. You want to have everything that, like within reason, that you, you can't stop you. So yep. you, like a flat tire will stop you, or um, braking. Uh, sometimes a spoke, like something as simple as a spoke, can break and kind of end your race. So you, you want to have like spares that within reason that you yep. can carry. That yeah. Yeah. And you break shit all the time. Like Full on. I, my my in the last race I was in, the, my sh- shoes got so worn that the the cleats. So it's like a little metal thing when you clip your feet in mm. on the pedals. Both of those are ripped out the bottom of my shoes. Far Man, this sounds like an absolute ordeal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's lots of fun. <laughs> yeah. So in in order of like, um, what's the biggest risk to you doing well? Because you, you mentioned about seventeen things, like saddle sores. Food, sleep, animals, the, yeah, conditions, hands, conditions, animals. Did you say? Yeah. So, like in America, like grizzly bears, <laughs> um, like mountain lions, wolves, and stuff. Mountain lions, <laughs> saber-toothed tigers, um, <laughs> raptors. You know, like yeah, T Rexes. Yeah. So the bears was like a real concern. But that's the thing when you look at the statistics, and especially what's just happened the last couple of weeks, is like a collision with a car. Even though that there is a risk with bears all the time, quite often the circumstances can be like so the the consequence can be quite catastrophic. But like you really need to be mindful all the time with bears, so you can't yeah. just have like you can't have half-eaten like honey buns or cinnamon rolls in your bag because yeah. bears can sniff like a, a carcass twenty miles away. Yeah. So like, from here to Frankston, they can smell. Yeah. So you don't want to have stuff that that bears can sniff out and like a guy from texas a few days before he was just camping illegally 
before the the race had started. Oh right. So are we bear- talking? Are we talking here mainly with the risk and risk factor with the bear when you're sleeping on the side of the road? Yeah. Not when you're on the bike. Yeah, they won't chase you. Oh, bro, I'm just thinking, <laughs> fucking how quick are these bears? Are they, well, they can run faster than you. But, <laughs> yeah, like, right. if you get in between a mother and a cub, which, you know, that is... I don't know if the summer season is when they... They do have cubs, I suppose, in that in that time of year. Yep. Like, if one's aggressive, then, you yeah, you can be in trouble. Yeah, yeah, right. But when you're sleeping... So, it's like when I've gone to Yosemite National Park and you yeah. have to lock all your food up in the bear, bear yep. cages. And they are herbivores, too. So... They don't eat people for nutrition, but yeah. they can attack you, yeah. Yeah, they can just fuck you up. Well, I suppose mountain lions are kind of the opposite. They do, well, not eat people, but they eat other animals, yeah. Yeah, right. So animal attack is a genuine, genuine yeah. risk. So what, other, what, what are the other, if you were to say, what, what's the thing that slows you down the most, the thing that is the biggest risk? Is it like weather? Sort? Weather. Yeah. In, well, everyone's under the same sky though, so like... Kind of. Well, as oh, a, so if you just got caught in a bad patch, say... One week in, you're... Because I imagine that you could be a day ahead, a day behind and still be going back and forth, right? Okay, cool. So if you just get caught in the wrong weather pattern and you just... Exactly. And it's like... um, So even in Australia, so across the Nullarbor Plain, headwinds. Mm -hmm. So they really slow you up and high temperature. So like you're going through a lot more water to try and get your body temperature down. Um, In America, it was very much... um, So dealing with snow... Mm-hmm. Stealing with like sub-zero temperatures. Mm-hmm. Once you kind of cross over to New Mexico and the elevation drops away, it's like bushfires and, and high temperatures. So, yep. yeah. Um, if it's really, really hot, it's not really that wise to push on in the heat of the day. So, generally, a lot of people will try and um, sleep like between like maybe like two and six o'clock when the temperatures are really high providing obviously that you can, for a nap. yeah yeah <laughs> providing that you can get shade and, yeah, like, and then ride in the night yeah ride in the dark but then if you're riding at yeah. night then if you're going through small towns like the shops are closed so it's kind of like a bit of a catch-22 yeah it's another thing that you have to really yeah. strategize around so it's all this yeah and it's kind of just you can plan it to a t as much as you like but generally it never goes to plan and you'll either be well it's very rare that you'll ever be in front of where you want to be but you'll be often be behind Mm, interesting so i feel like mentally it would probably be the toughest toughest aspect Mm -hmm. or or, well obviously you've said you know weather is obviously thing that could slow you down the most and so forth but the mental aspect would be huge yep and and, and you mentioned that earlier i did a ride um i rode for the best part of 17 days on a motorbike from yeah, Vietnam, wow. from um, Saigon to Hanoi, and that was one of the best things I've ever done. It was really, really great. Yeah. Um, and what I did was, I just uh, started riding in, at, at the start of the day, and I didn't really, because of advent, because uh, 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 of adventure fit, and I've my whole life had been around planning itineraries and like, yeah. we need to be here at this time, and we need to do this and that. That's never how I've travelled. And then when I had adventure fit, it that became even further from how I would want to travel. Mm. So what I'll do, which wasn't a great system for a bike, a ride like I did, but I just start the day riding and yep. then I just figure out where I'd, where I'd end up yeah. that night. Whenever I got a bit tired, whenever the sun started to go down or whatever. And actually screwed me over a little bit because I couldn't find towns. I was riding through, you know, typhoon-like, you know, storms and whatever. Yeah. But it was, even for me, for a, for a race like, that wasn't a race, for a, for a ride like that, um, yeah, mentally, because... At certain periods, I'd be like, right, I'm going to go past this town. And then I'm like, oh, fuck. 
I don't want to ride for another two hours. And on the GPS, yeah. the only thing I could say, I could say, I'm, I'm probably going to have to stay here. I'm like, oh, I don't want to go two more hours, but I don't want to go backwards, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, and then it would start fucking thundering down on me yeah. and, and my light would fucking break and whatever I'd have. So I have a very, very small yeah. imagination of like, um, imagining of how it would be for you guys. Um, but how do you stay positive mentally? How do you, do you, for example, listen to anything? That would yeah, be I do like listen to a lot of music and podcasts. I suppose it's kind. How do you charge stuff? That's what because uh, I would think that would be great. But I was thinking also yeah. how would you how would you logistically do that? Uh, Solar charges. Th- take little them. battery packs. Yeah. Oh, the the front hub in they've kind of really modernised them. I suppose like when your mum had her bike that had the uh, it's like a little dynamo. It's called like a bottle dynamo, and it goes on the side of the wheel. And it's a little generator. Yep, like a little alternator. To, so it's like a more advanced one of those that goes in the front wheel hub of your bike and charges your stuff yeah but it will only charge it when things are when you're going at a steady speed and you have to be a certain speed above yep. so quite often if you're in like pretty tough terrain like it's not going to do anything yeah because gotcha. your speed's up and down or you're going quite slowly yeah yeah so how do you like so obviously like you got some music you got some podcasts but when you don't have that stuff like how do you stay mentally in the game like what yeah. are your techniques well, it's kind of when you when you start it it's you make that agreement with yourself you're like I will finish this no matter what mm-hmm. even if I'll I'll walk the end of it yeah. if, if it comes to it so it's kind of when you really am struggling you have to kind of have that moment of clarity and you're like well I made the agreement that I'm going to finish this, mm. so I'm going to finish this. So it's like very much um, you, you need a bank of bad experience to draw back down on. Yeah. So I've, you know, you've got to have, and you've got to have that perspective. I've seen a few movies and stuff that have kind of come out about people attempting like really long rides or, or something quite arduous. And they'll go into it like a couple of hours in and go, this is the worst day of my life. Which is like, and in that moment in time, it is because yeah. that's their perspective. Yeah. But like I've, you've eventually trained to the point and you've eventually had that experience bank enough of it that it's, it's put in perspective like, well, gee, this, I'm having a really shit time. Mm. But a year and a half ago, I was, I was having a way worse time over here. So it's very much like, so you talk about um, riding across Vietnam and having a really really tough day so it's like the next time you're there or the, or a week later you're having a tough day you're like well it's a tough day but it's not as tough as what I've yeah. just had yeah yeah I, I, was, I was actually talking about um, business stress the other day and how I don't find Athena the company that I run now like nothing about it stresses me out and mm. I think that's because of um, the stress that I went through with AdventureFit you know, yeah. like it was unfathomably stressful every time we ran a trip because we were like scratching for money. Yeah. So, so every three months I'd go through this like break, mental breakdown of like stress. Yeah. Not a mental breakdown, but it was really, really heavy duty stress. Yeah. And then now I, I understand. I understand that f- full well because yeah, now I, I think of that. I'm like, mm. you know what? This is not bad at all. I've yeah. been through way worse stuff than this. And Does that makes sense? And you really need you don't to... catastrophize it, I guess. Yeah, and you've got to have that moment of clarity and you're like, <laughs> all right, well, if I remove the emotion out of this, what is actually really going wrong? Yeah. And it's like, well, I'm stuck in a storm at the moment. I'm, in a, I'm sitting in a public toilet. Well, it's not ideal and I'm losing time, but 
at this point in time, like I'm safe. There's walls around me. Mm. I'll just have to wait this storm out mm-hmm. to be able to push on. And yeah, it's. But at the time, you're not thinking rationally. Like you know, oh, everything's going down the drain. I'm losing <laughs> yeah. positions and stuff. It's like, and and that did happen. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, through the Rockies, in particular Colorado and northern New Mexico, it it rains every day and mm. has lightning storms. Mm. And that guy that I mentioned earlier that organised um, that ride from Perth to, to Sydney, that race from Perth to Sydney was more or less struck by lightning and he still came second in the race. Like, <laughs> So he was struck by lightning, had complete memory blank, ended up in, on someone's bed thinking he was in the Wizard of Oz. Oh, and then he still probably managed, was. Yeah, and still managed to get his shit together and, yeah. and come second. So <laughs> You guys are savages. Yeah. You guys should be USC fighters. Just get in there and just ride your bike around, just punch like <laughs> You'd probably be able to endure more pain than most UFC fighters would. Um, oh, that's crazy. That's so funny. So how do you prepare for a race like that? What's the training like? Uh, I have a pretty structured... At the start, it would just be right until it was painful. Yeah, I would, which is how long for you? Yeah, oh, it's, oh, it's a little while now, but we would... Uh, so they have a... The World Tour, which is like Tour de France and stuff, they go to Adelaide every year in January. Yep. So we ride from Melbourne to Adelaide essentially in one go, mm-hmm. st- stopping for a, a couple of hours halfway. And um, that's a good way to train because it's like when you're with other people, like you're like, oh, my back's sore or gee, I could just stop for five minutes. It's like when you're with other people, it's kind of like you, you keep pushing because you don't want to be the one behind. Yep. Yeah. But, and, that, and that comes back to like... A banking on um, having that bank of bad experiences like you go through that and you're like gee this is really the worst day of my life and it's like well nothing's really gone wrong like I'm still turning the pedals and stuff and you know I'm hydrated and somewhat reasonably, reasonably fed so mm-hmm. it's like there's nothing really stopping me from keeping going yeah yeah. it's just I feel a bit sad <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just fucking miserable yeah yeah <laughs> um, no that's fair so so this last ride that you did that we were talking about the other day, for people, um, obviously, well, most people would, wouldn't know, but me and um, Nico go to gym together. So um, we're in, at gym, you were telling me about the, the ride in through the US. We're actually really like, just a quick side note on that. So Abdullah Zainab, he's currently one of the best in the world. I keep saying one of the best in the world because I'm really fortunate. I know like maybe five or three or four of the top 10 in the world. Yeah, cool. He just won the Trans Am, which is from... Portland to Virginia yep. he actually went to PTC yeah and he met his girlfriend there as well Jess used to go to PTC as really? well really yeah this is kind of before all of us kind of come along but Andrew knows him himself really I, shout yeah. out to Andrew I don't know nah don't shout out Andrew <laughs> <laughs> scrub that out scrub that out that section <laughs> um, oh that's classic so but just just so when we're talking about um, well this most recent race so I remember being blown away by the, the you know statistics of like how where it was and how long it was can you explain it to the audience, I guess. For- so, so, and that's the thing. It's like when you look at just the figures itself, it's mind-blowing just to wrap your mind around it. So it's 4,500 kilometres. It's the record currently is like 14 days, which obviously when they started the race, they never thought 10 years ago that someone could ever do it in that, in that time. Yep. Um, it involves 30... <clears throat> I think it's like 37 mountain passes mm-hmm. so you go over 37 mountains the highest altitude is well i suppose if you go to nepal and stuff it's probably not that high but if you're someone like me that lives at the beach it is high it's uh, 3600 
meters. Oh, is, yeah, is, that's is, definitely high. Is quite high, yeah. That's high for anyone, really. Yes. And, not not and, every space camp high, obviously, but that's yeah. high, especially for sport. Especially for sport and especially when you're, like, pushing yourself, your body's under a, an, oh, yeah. an in, increased, yeah, increased amount of stress. Um, they have roughly 200 starters. When, it, when that started 10 years ago, it, they had... 10 or 15. So it's, yeah. it's, that shows you the explosion and the participation rate. So out of 200 starters, approximately 50 or 60 finished. Really? Wow. Um, I, yeah, I think I came about 30th or something like that. And I also raced at single speed, just as a side note. So I raced it without gears. Yep. So there's like a separate classification. Um, Why'd you do that? Challenge. That was the only bike I had. <laughs> yeah, right. I only had one year. I was like, yeah. had a flat on the, on the other bike. <laughs> um, so yeah, when you when you try and wrap your head around it, it's like just on those figures alone, you're like, it's impossible. But it's amazing, providing that you've got food and water. It's surprising how how far you can push yourself yeah mm. and it's quite often and a lot of people turn around and say oh well I could never do that I could never do that and it's like well I hope that like what I'm championing is that anyone can do it like I'm not you're an average bloke yeah I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just the average Joe I'm representing the everyman and, and like if, if it's surprising what can be achieved when you put your mind to it yeah mm. four and a half thousand kilometers you said is that right? Correct, yeah. And then I think the... And from where to where? I think Portland, the, Portland to... Oh, so that was from Banff in Canada. Oh, that's right, yep. yeah. So it goes uh, through um, Montana, uh, Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado, New Mexico. To Mexico? Whereabouts in Mexico? Just across oh, uh, uh, oh, sorry, New Mexico. So it's New a, Mexico, to the border pretty much. Uh, yeah, to, they call it Trump's Wall. Yeah, right. Well, that's some amazing scenery to ride through. To ride. That's like all the National Park. Um, it is, capital yeah. Capital of the universe. Really. It is, all yeah. All those areas you just mentioned. Yeah, and like I was fortunate enough to visit Lake Louise. Oh. Like before starting, which is probably like one of the most photographed places in the world. I was talking about Lake Louise two days ago, I reckon, with mm. someone in the gym. With, um, um, who was it? Uh, Chanel, I think it was. Oh yeah. Um, she's, um, she's gone to Canada, and I was talking about the fact that um, my mate Leon, he mm. did when when we both went to school together, thirty three. So it was would have been for sure ten years ago. He was living in um, Canada. Side note: mm. Leon was paid. He was twenty two. For somehow he got a job. He was paid by the AFL to mm. teach young Canadian kids how to play footy. That's what he did over there for six months. He just went around to schools kicking the footy with these little kids. Trying to like scope out like hidden talent or something he, like oh, that. Oh, just yeah. trying to promote the game internationally, I guess. Yeah. Not even talent-wise. They were like, from what I remember him telling me, primary school kids, just trying to grow the sport and the awareness of it, I guess. So, mm. um, Which doesn't in more people playing it and talent, and idols, yeah. I guess. But it was fascinating. But, but anyway, so Leon um, put up a photo when he was at Lake Louise, I remember it was it was probably like early days of Facebook because it would have been yeah. like 2008, 2009. It was one of his first profile pictures. I just remember being on Facebook and he put up this photo, just the typical like, you know, posy on that little wharf that they have. Yeah. And then it was right at the time when it must have just um, just thawed or yeah, yeah um, gone from being frozen over. It's because the trees on the side of the mountains and stuff were all frosted with snow still yeah, yeah but the lake was the lake it wasn't ice 
And he took, a, he took the photo, just a regular photo, put it up as his profile picture. And I remember reaching out to him straight away. I said, mate, where the fuck are you? <laughs> Tell me right now. Um, and since... Or, is, or that, is that a Bob Ross painting or something like that <laughs> yeah, that you've just photo-chopped right. yourself in front of? That's yeah. right. I, um, I couldn't believe it. it. Since that day, it's been... India is the place I want to travel to most if you think of a country. But if, if you think of one actual place on the planet, mm. I want to go to Lake Louise, number one, I reckon. Yeah. Since that day. Crazy. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. What time of year were you there? Well, it's just before the summer solstice, which is when... So, like, the race started on June 14th or something like that. Yep. So, and it's amazing, like, because you can hike all the little mountains off to the side and even up the top of those, it's still snow. Like, yep. Yeah. Yeah. For it's sure. still pretty icy. For yeah. Sure. Unreal. So what are some of the um so this is this uh, this race that you just competed in. What's the name of it again? Say it again. So that's the Tour Divide. Tour Divide, yeah. Yeah, right. and it's the the route, so it's a fixed route. It's called the Great Divide mountain bike route. And a lot of people hike it as well. So they have the Continental Divide. So people will take six months off work and just hike the whole thing <laughs> as well. Yeah. Um that's insane. So what are the like how does this rank on Mm. One of the questions that I wanted to ask basically was I wanted to know what the wildest races are worldwide in endurance oh, cycling. Yeah. So like where does this rank and like what are some of the ones that mm. you might know of that are that are the most intense, the, the most crazy? Yeah, well they've got, um, I, we'll call the Tour Divide the granddaddy of them. Cause oh really? Because it's been around the longest. Full on, so that's the number one really. Kind of, yeah. probably The imp- one that everyone wants to do most kind of. Yeah, in participation yep. and like size and stuff and that was the first time you did it correct yeah. oh you must have loved it that's great yeah but a lot of people come back year and year on yeah yeah and stuff um we've got it's they're all kind of broken down into universes like with social media and stuff so stuff pops up but it's quite often stuff will come up slightly outside of your universe and reach and stuff so you might not it, something might exist but you might not see it mm. and it's event it's kind of like even talking back to the gym and stuff, there might be like a crew of people or something that might just be outside the bubble, like yeah. a, a, of where you, of social media that you operate. So there could be someone doing very something similar, but you might not ever know about it because they're yeah. outside. But the stuff that I see in, we'll call it my bubble, um, is they have, they've got one at the moment that is so difficult that they've only really had one or two people finish. And there's currently only one person. I think still racing at the moment. It's called the Terra Australis. So it's from, for Australian listeners, it's from the top of Cape York to Wilson's Prom. Oh, really? So it's the length of Australia, but a lot of it is like sand and stuff. It's Terra pretty, that, that's in, insane intense. Um, I'm preparing for next year and it just finished as well, which hopefully it kind of ties in with work and whatnot. Uh, the, Silk Mo, the Silk Road Mountain Race. Oh, that sounds so like that's, cool. that, that's quite short. Compared to stuff that I've done in the past, only two thousand kilometres, mm-hmm. but it's it's so it's so remote and, and it is made up of mountain passes, but they don't have trees there. So you're so is ex- that like Siberia or uh, uh, it's called Kazakhstan. So it's in between Kazakhstan. Yeah, or I'm pronouncing Kyrgyzstan or it's I keep- Kyrgyzstan. Kyrgyzstan, that's Kyrgyzstan, one. yeah. Always yeah. my Australian Ocker thing. It is definitely Kyrgyzstan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. between, yeah. There's a lot of stands that I don't know about. So it could be one. Yeah, you know, I don't yeah. really know. That, there's so many stands I don't even know. <laughs> Who knows um, So that's between China and Russia mm-hmm. on the Silk Road. Uh, so that just finished, but that was wild. Like, you know, 
I think they got like six hours in and that was already like blizzards and snow and it's like intense heat when you're in the in the valleys and stuff. And there's no tree like kinda of like a bit different to Australia and America, there's no trees. Mm. So you can't you can't hide. So you've got to like keep pushing. Far out. And they yeah, that's really high on the list. The what about same- food at one like that? I feel like there'd be less truck stops and like, Yeah, well they have a thing called, called a they? yurt. Yeah. Which is like a fabric tent. And um yeah, just kind of drink goat's milk and bread. <laughs> bread and jam. That's kind of what they... That, that's kind of like the diet in Kyrgyzstan. You're a psycho. So, that's actually the... That's top level stuff in Kyrgyzstan probably. Yeah, yeah. That, that's up market, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, I'm really keen for that and I'm really hoping to get... But yeah, it's <clears throat> an insane amount of climbing. It is quite difficult. Um, they have one across Europe called the Transcontinental, which is like... I don't, I don't know why, but just when you said they have one against Europe, uh, across Europe, I was like, uh, when you said there was a race in Europe, after you told me the one that's basically through like the Silk Road mm. and through Kyrgyzstan, I instantly just thought the Europe one would be easy. Yeah, well, Europe's not too remote, yeah. but like it, it's done at a pretty hard hard pace. Yeah, yeah gotcha. so that's probably more based around road speed. And mm-hmm. I think the one across Europe, you kind of has a certain amount of checkpoints so you kind of pick your own route mm-hmm. whereas a lot of all the pretty much all the other ones you have to stay on the on, on, the, the, on the on the track yeah yeah so when you're doing these races um this is something that i wanted to ask when you right at, right at the start um came to mind but when you say this um uh the australian race that we just did the mm. oh no or any any race say the tour divide that sorry that you, that you just did so um do you look at the route and you actually figure out places you want to eat do you have to actually go ahead and do that? Or? A lot of planning is required, yeah. yeah kind of the ones that are, are really well known and they don't change the route year on year. There's not much planning that goes into it because like the gas, like all the towns are pretty well known already. Yep. But especially doing a race that it's at the inaugural event or there's one called Race of the Rock, which I've done last year. Yeah, so that was from the bottom of Tasmania to Uluru. Mm-hmm. Um. And that changes every year, so you have to plan if if you're going into it. The yeah, the truck stops and roadhouses and stuff aren't known, so you have to kind of through Google or through mapping through Google Maps or whatever. You've got to try and suss out where everything is. Fuck, that's crazy. It kind of adds to the romance. Like I don't know when I when you go out on holiday, you kind of go yeah, well, I'll jump on TripAdvisor and read all the reviews and try and go oh yeah, I'll definitely go here and check this out and stuff. Oh, it would be fun. It would be super yeah. exciting doing it, that, I reckon. Yeah, I, I work in mapping, so it's kind of second nature with me. Yeah. I work on Excel spreadsheets a lot, so yeah, yeah, it, yeah it's quite easy for me. I'll spend all the time doing it, yeah. Man, it sounds so exciting. It sounds just oh, man. I I I I, I hate bike riding. Mm. I just do. I hate swimming. I hate running. I just I don't like any of it. But <laughs> um, I hate cyclists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, there's fuckers on the road. Oh god. Um. So, but I um this ride I did in um, Vietnam. I'll do another few in my life for sure. I can mm. long motorbike rides. It was so this dude said to me um and it would be I think it's totally different to yours because yours is just pain, right? Yours is pain and endurance. Yeah, when you're on a well, motorbike, I, hope, I hope it's not too much pain, but uh, discomfort, yeah. Discomfort, yeah. Whereas when you're on a motorbike, it takes it out of your body and it can be a it little does. bit on yeah. your mind and, and, and so forth, but it's nothing pain-wise. It's not, it's not painful. 
It's just not. So yeah, uh, it's quite. It's actually quite enjoyable. I, I feel like, even mm. though it's you know a bit of a slog. But because uh, I remember, um, I remember this dude. I, I met him. Um, so when you do this one through Vietnam, you start in um, Saigon. Mm. Again, it's going to be an infographic. Yep. And then uh, going to Hanoi. <laughs> point here, <isn't> point here. <laughs> and then right in the middle, there's Huay. So yep. you ride to Huay. There's because there's um, I hired a bike, and there was the number one like bike hiring place in all of Vietnam they have just one place in Saigon and one place in Hanoi so you start at the bottom and you take it to the top just quickly was this a reconnaissance ride for adventure fit or did you already have people with you no it was actually I actually just that was the first holiday I went on that I planned myself in years oh wow since yeah, I yeah. started adventure fit I tacked on like a day or two here like a, yeah. maybe like five days here and there on en- the end or before an adventure fit trip that's, this was that's pretty cool because like at that time of your life you were planning holidays no. so, so so to have that kind of elite holiday for yourself like it was all time it was mm. actually really great yeah and i thought about that a lot i was like oh man I, I actually have the ability for the first time in so long to take some time away and actually plan my own holiday yeah, yeah. So it was the first time in years um actually and it was really great so so yeah so i decided to ride the length of the country and in Huey, right in the middle of the country they have um, the place where you hire the bikes from, they have a service center. Yeah. So um, basically, you just hope that your bike makes it to there. And yeah. half the time, they don't. And then, yeah, uh, wow. oh, yeah, like they break, the, they're just, they're shit bikes. Mm. Um, and the roads are pretty mm, sketchy from time to time, depending what route you go. But yeah. I remember getting to Huey and I pulled in, and there was another guy, he pulled in just before me, he was kind of getting off his bike or just after me, I can't really remember. And he was an Aussie guy. I could just tell straight away. I'm like, hey, mm. mate, how you going? He goes, yeah, yeah, good. I said, you're doing the ride? I said, yep. I said, what direction are you going? He said, I'm going north to south. I said, oh, I'm going south to north. It was literally like looking in a mirror, you know, man. Yeah. And this guy was having a chat. And I said, I said, man, it's so fucking great out there, isn't it? Mm. And he goes, the guy looked at me, and it sounds a bit um, corny maybe, but mm. he looked at me and he goes, mate, it's the ultimate freedom. <laughs> 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 and I literally went... Wow. He wasn't watching Sons of Anarchy on DVD in the, <laughs> yeah. at the mechanic shop or something. We hugged and then, you know, it was great. Yeah. Was, yeah. But um, no, it was actually funny. Uh, when he said it, I was like, oh man, that's exactly how I would explain it. Yeah. It couldn't have been, it could, it sounds corny, but it's the, it's the perfect way to like, you just, it was just you and the road. And I had, um, I would put in, I would just ride and have silence and just my own thoughts. I would listen to podcasts. I would listen to music. I would listen to a handful of books and mm. some of the best times are actually um, when you were like caught in a storm for me and you know you're really up mm. against it and it was like fuck how am I going to get out of this situation yeah. I'm in but it also I was creating my own story of something that I had done in my life you know I yeah. was like oh this is a cool it's a it's a such a different experience mm. I was like I remember at one point I was riding through yeah through just a torrential like I'm talking like typhoon level storm mm. you know with the the lights on the bike of my, uh, uh, that would go like about as far as my iPhone would go yeah. and then um, you know you'd only see a little a house every 10 or 20 minutes I was riding through the border of Laos and Vietnam through the jungles mm-hmm. you'd see a house every like 10 or 20 minutes and you'd stop in get under shelter there'd be other bike riders there that'd be you know like, yeah wow it was really um, yeah, it was tough but it was it was really great so this actual this conversation has actually fired me up to not get on a push bike but to, <laughs> to try and start to plan because I like I think the reason I started talking about that was the planning side of it because I love the sitting down and nutting out like I don't write itineraries when I travel but I research the shit out of joints so I know that you know, I know where I should go and where I want to go and then if I go there yeah. if I don't or you know whatever but and you certainly uh, don't want to like miss out and, and like visit a 
a place and you go, well, this is all the time I've got allocated and there's something like way cooler. Yeah. Way yeah. else around the corner, yeah. Yeah, you want to know what's around. You want to know, mm. you want to know what the options are, I reckon. So, um, yeah, cool. So, um, so when we were talking about um, before the show, uh, I was like, yeah, right. Fucking. So, Nico, like, you know, what are, the, what, are some, what are some interesting points around the bike riding stuff? So, you mentioned that um, you've been through some stuff mental health-wise and, and so forth and eating Correct. disorders and, and, and stuff. So, mm. And then you're also, yeah, straight edge and vegan. So, how did that, all, how did that whole thing all come about? So, I, uh, I studied at RMIT and stuff and would kind of get on the terps a little bit. Never really... I don't think alcohol really took to me. Like, I did enjoy it, but I would never come home, like, after a, a long day and go, gee, I really could smash a beer or something oh, like I that. I'm that like... Either. I don't I, get that either. I, I'm like, I just really want to smash something cold. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I can't wait for a sarsaparilla tonight. <laughs> Cutlass <Yeah>. sarspies. <laughs> um, uh, so, I had... I was a really, really big kid throughout high school so we'll rewind back as to in start. like weight wise like weight wise right. yeah i was been pretty much this height since i was like i don't know 13 14 yeah and then just kind of stayed this height forever yeah but um yeah had a kind of was quite overweight and just gone through a rough time at high school like we you and i went to high school around the same time and also around the corner from each other mm. and i didn't really I I really didn't I felt like I didn't really have a place anywhere. I was kind of spread really thin, like and I wasn't really good at anything. Mm. Like academically I was not great. Didn't do well at any sports. Didn't really have that many friends. And then yeah, kind of just come to like, you know, the tender age of like 15, 16 and stuff when you start really getting interested in girls and stuff you're like gee I'm really not going to do well <laughs> like, look, like looking like I look now <laughs> yeah. so I just kind of I'm like, up against it here <laughs> yeah so I um, just tried at the gym but not really I guess there wasn't just a lot of information at that time because like the internet had uh, internet had kind of started but it wasn't to the point of like information wasn't so readily available yeah where you could go and train yourself and get actual results and- yeah and there wasn't like this kind of peer-to-peer knowledge sharing it's yep. just kind of like I suppose if you're 16 now and you want to like learn about how to get in a shape you know there's probably been hundreds of thousands of bits of information that people have written oh, or if not sure. if not millions millions for sure um, like at that stage so I was just not eating all that much and like working out a lot but not really targeting what I was doing like working out wise mm-hmm. and then yeah and then it's just kind of like the kind of the compliments started coming in and like girls started to get not ones at school really but like girls kind of started to get interested in, uh, interested in you mm-hmm. through like various circles and stuff like social circles outside school and then it kind of and then I kind of got a hold of it a bit and then I really fell off the wagon. I, I was, I think I was just starting to lack that consistency a bit and I'd be up, you know, I'd be pushing really hard and then I'd be like letting go a bit too much. Mm. And then throughout like... This is like, with your training and with your diet and with your weight. Yeah, and like and through RMIT, I wasn't really that... Um, kind of like let myself go a bit again and then 
started so I worked at the desalination plant and as a uh, in uh, oil and gas in mm. Western Australia and then it was kind of I was smoking cigarettes mm. when I worked at Hungry Jack's I don't know, mad shout-outs to HJ's. But, um, <laughs> when I was working at HJ's in Frankston, you used to be able to get extra breaks if you're a cigarette smoker. What? So, yeah, you get like... I would have taken up smoking yeah, cigarettes for that. Well, that's pretty much what I did. So, <laughs> <laughs> so like, you, you got like... How many t- of these do I have to smoke? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do I have to inhale? <laughs> yeah. So, you get like a 10-minute break every hour working You're at HJ's. cigar. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Rodney Dangerfield or something <laughs> like that. Um, so... And yeah, and then it kind of all come up. I was filling in for a mate's indoor soccer team and I'm like completely out of breath. And I kind of realized only a few years ago that I was asthmatic as well, which wasn't helping. And like I was so out of breath. I'm like, all right, I'm going to quit smoking. And But I was so terrified of putting weight back on again after quitting smoking that I really just tried to knuckle down. I probably overdid it again. Uh, working out in WA, so working fly and fly out in in camps, mm-hmm. it's kind of people really go like two ways. So, uh, well, maybe three ways. Like people are very introverted and keep to themselves, and maybe watch movies and stuff every night. And then you have the people that are really into partying and mm. drinking and stuff every night. And then the people that are really trying to work, and often in an unhealthy way on their health and and fitness and stuff. So I just tried to kind of follow. Uh, yeah, I was uh, I, I was on that path, and yep. it, and it kind of really didn't. I kind of thought it was manageable, and it's like you you're rationalising it in yourself, and then it came to a point. I think when I was about twenty six, twenty seven. No, yeah, when I was twenty six, and I was uh, going out with a girl, and I was taking, oh, uh, not and like regrettably taking flight. Performance enhancing substances. Were you? Yeah, but not not while I was cycling or anything like that. It was just because I wanted to look a certain way. Mexican subs. Yeah. So and she was, she was. So what type of stuff? Uh so just psalms. What's so, that? I don't know. So they're um, so ad- androgen modulators. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of it. It's not injected. You take it orally. Yeah. And it gives you the ability to train twice a day. So yep. you could. It, it would give you this crazy good recovery, but at the end of the day, it's like you got all the bad effects from um, taking proper gear, mm-hmm. but not really the benefits. So yeah. it's was, it was kind of like a dead end road anyways. Yeah. And it was a really dumb thing to do. And it actually re- it destroyed my health for like the next pretty much four years afterwards. Oh, really? Yeah. So I had really bad testosterone levels and stuff like that. And even to this day, I still got to get tested every year. Really? So did you not do, I know that when you cycle on, like I got one of my best mates who's been on a, um, Mm. on a cycle of steroids. He's just a regular gym dude or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, It's the first time and he's off it now. And then he's doing the, whatever it is to rebuild your testosterone. Yeah. Therapy. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe I guess. Yeah. Just to get yourself back to a level you know, yeah. playing, and then he he might do another cycle or whatever. I'm not really sure. But did you not do that, or like, why did it affect you so badly? Uh, well, I only took a couple of cycles, and I I didn't think I needed the therapy afterwards, and I really didn't want to start shooting my stuff. And I I'd seen in like documentaries and on the internet and stuff when people start taking uh, testosterone therapy and stuff like that, that it can it that's even more of a dead end road. Like you can't come off it after that so yeah. once you're on it it's like you, you have to be on it for good so really and it was 
it did. I had an endocrinologist like go through me with a fine tooth comb when, when I was really sick after coming off um, Psalms. And um, yeah, you know, there's a, a lady that's as old as your nan. She grabs you on the nads, <laughs> which I didn't see coming, which was probably good that I didn't see coming because I probably would have been pretty nervous Someone's about it. Someone's paid me money for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a, she's like, a, I've got the best job in the world. There, <laughs> um, I'm like, oh, the worst. Yeah. And then she's like, look, you're right on the limit for therapy. She's like, I'll, I'll leave the call up to you. You can make the call. Mm-hmm. And she's like, and I'll back you. But she's like, you just got to know that once you're on it, then that's it. There's no coming off it. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 You know, shot in the ass once a month. For the rest of your life? Yeah. Well, I think if you come off it, you could end up sterile or you shrink your nads or Really? Get... Well, a lot of UFC fighters have come off it because I remember the TRT exception. Exemption, sorry. Oh, so they have an exemption to They stay. had a... Oh, in the UFC, what they had was um, they had uh, they had basically an exemption for TRT if you went and got it tested by a doctor and you needed your, your levels yeah. low. So all the UFC fighters were going to their doctor and being like, hey, fucking, can you just say that my levels are really low and I want to just... And then they would absolutely juice themselves to the gills with yep. TRT. But then the UFC cleaned themselves up like five years ago. Yeah. And now no one's on TRT. And you can see the bodies are totally changed. You can yep. see that it's... it's Night and day of how somebody looks, particularly. Yeah. Um, but I'm interested to see. Uh, I'm not quite sure how they, how the rest of their life, the back end behind the scenes, is playing out. One thing that I have heard around that is the mental health. Even, even um, Deeks might have mentioned it to me about mm. like coming off certain types of gear. Yeah. How you feel like Superman. Yeah. You feel unbreakable. You know, mm. you wake up, bounce out of bed, everything's great, all your numbers are going through the roof. You look the best. You've yeah. Your like vascularities. Yeah. Crazy, yeah. And then you come off it and you're just like, oh, fuck, I suck. Yeah. Because it would be hard. Like and that. it affects you in so many ways. But yeah, and that's and it's still something I think to this day. It's like, oh, because I had that exemption. She's like, look, you know, and it probably would have changed me athletically in other um, other sports and stuff I do, in particularly on the bike. And I, I could have like legally stayed on it. I was like, oh, yeah. I'll, look, we'll give it a couple of years. I'll try and manage it. In other ways, as best I can. So, mm-hmm. interesting. So, um, where did the foot? Where did the? Where did a eating disorder come in? Well, uh, uh, sorry, yeah. So to to come back to that, so my girlfriend found me with these um, these items, and she's like, "You, you got to get this diagnosed, and at least once it's diagnosed, then you can start to try and work on a on a way of fixing it." Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I just end up getting a cancer, and you know, I I think it was just more. Because like you, you think a, a certain way, and you, and you rationalise it to yourself. It's like, well, if if I can get this prop, properly diagnosed, then it, then I at least I can make peace with it and just not think that I'm thinking a certain way. It's like it is what it is, and then there's a way to to fix it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of self management, I suppose. Mm, interesting. So I, if I look back and like look at the weight and how it zigzagged, it's probably really been twice where I've been really really bad. So once in high school, and then probably while I was working away in. WA, yeah. So would you like, but would you be not eating correctly or like yeah, throwing well, up? Or well, like, it would or, go or was from it just obsession with your weight. That it, was it would be both. Part of it? Yeah, so it'd be not eating enough. Like the uh, the the second time around, like the enamel on my teeth would start coming off all the time. Yeah, and I was like, what is going on? Because I could brush my teeth like a a normal person, like yeah. twice a day. But um, and then looking at photos and seeing how thin I am, and like. And friends of mine that I thought were 
like very light people like mm. quite skinny and then finding out that I'm actually lighter than them yeah. and then you're like uh, and then it would evolve from that into oh well I need to fix this so then you'd be uh, at the at the gym all the time like weighing your food so proper body dysmorphia really yeah like yeah uh, yeah so how big were you when you were big how big are you now what do you weigh now as a uh, I just don't uh, weigh myself anymore but I yeah. probably had a guess probably between 84 84 and 87 yeah yeah, yeah, I reckon. And what were you? Uh, you well, in high school, I was over 100. Yep. So probably, and a slightly shorter, and yep. probably, yeah, probably getting close up to about 110, I would think. Yeah, yeah really? Right. So really, really, really big. big. Yeah, yeah. That's a big, especially for a young kid. Yeah. And that type of weight, yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, you're trying not to blame your parents too much, but when you look back, back at all, you're like, gee, I really lived. Yeah, there were, it was clear that there was, problems with how i was eating and stuff like you you like you can be a certain body type and whatever and it can get you so far but when you look at your habits and stuff you're like yeah this is clearly what's like causing all this Mm -hmm. it's not that i'm just unlucky in the genetics department even though that genetics are not as good as some others and stuff which but it's yeah yeah interesting Uh, yeah you can't live this lie too much and say well it's everyone it's everything else's fault. It's not me. It's like, yeah, it is. Yeah, me. yeah, yeah. It's funny. I think I don't know how many young kids go through that stuff, but I. I and it's I, getting worse. Yeah. Yeah, like, it will continue to get worse for sure with social media. Yeah. But I um I used to I've always had a really fast metabolism. Yeah. So I when I was a kid, I think I don't know how I came to this realization, but in my head, the only mm. way that you would have like a wife and a family and people would like a you know. A, lady a woman that would love you and whatever mm. was to be big and strong yeah I, like for my whole really really young, young um, period growing up I just thought like if you didn't look like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone yeah. like no one was going to give a fuck about you mm. and I don't know how I came to that conclusion but I always had a really fast metabolism mm-hmm. like super super fast so I was always super lean and, and found it really hard to put on weight and you know yeah. like you go to the gym and you're eating all these proteins and lots of meals six meals yeah. and all that stuff when you, and I just never could put on weight and that was fine whatever but I reckon for a period and I didn't really go through I didn't go through anything um, uh, eating disorder wise or whatever but one thing that I did do though from about from about 17 years of age until probably about 23 when I was living at my mum and dad's. Oh, actually, I, was out of, I, I wasn't living at my mum and dad's this whole time, but, but I would weigh myself because I would go to the gym flat out and yep. I was trying to put on weight to get stronger, mainly for footy, but also like looks-wise and you know that mm. stuff I was talking about in the back of my mind. But I would weigh myself fucking more than three or four times a day. Yeah. Every time I'd go to the bathroom, then go to the you know go to the toilet and go to the bathroom, wash my hands or like brush my teeth, or whatever, I would jump on the scales. Yeah. And... If I was 100 or 200 grams up, I'd be like, fuck yeah, that's it. Yeah. And if I was 100 or 200 grams down, I was like, oh man. And it would be like, and that, all my work's gone down the drain. And that's amazing how I would be like, and especially through those two periods of time, I'd be in the exact opposite way. So I'd be yeah. hoping to get that yeah. you know, three or 400 grams less. Yeah. <laughs> it's but, so funny. Uh, uh, and I don't think, it never really, never really screwed me over in any significant way, but it, it was certainly... A small form of body dysmorphia, I reckon. Yeah, and it's quite interesting with, well, because, and at that time with intermittent fasting, it had just become a new thing and um, and tracking with mobile phones, it was a lot easier to track what you're eating mm. and people would try and get like oh, a particular app which 
tracks your food and stuff there was one that was quite famous and then people would try and get like um how many continuous days and then yeah. i think I, I think i managed something like seven or eight hundred continuous days of what and, though of like tracking your food tracking your food like in general, yeah. like correctly yeah. and it would Tell you how many days. Yeah, so, so I tell you how many days in a row. And then I, I don't and, even and, know if I've woken up seven or eight hundred <laughs> days in a row. Yeah, so essentially, like it got to the point of like oh, eight hundred days would have been like in a two or three year period or whatever. Yeah. And then people still even do it to this day. And then when you look back at it, you're like, that is so. Like I can I can obviously work out in my head how much I need to eat intuitively over the periods of measuring that I know in my head. Mm. But it's like you really. No one is going to be impressed that you've written down what you ate for a thousand days straight. But no, it's not a and, and it's not a healthy relationship to have. And it's the no. same with like intermittent fasting. And I was right into intermittent fasting when I was FIFO. Um, you know, people would be like by the clock, you know, like mm. 18 and uh, 16 and 8. And I, I would end up... I, I was trying to get so good at it and thinking that it, it made such a difference that I would get to the point of where I could do it just one meal a day. Yep. So I would eat like, I'd annoy everyone at work because I'd be sitting at my desk and I'd have like 12 eggs, like veggies over here, meat over here. And I, I like, they'd be trying to talk to me and have meetings and stuff and I'd just be munching on, <laughs> just have constant food hanging out the just side of my mouth. 75 minute meal <laughs> once a day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so like, and then when you look at, yeah. So I found that all those things were creating unhealthy relationships with food. Mm, yeah. For sure, they sound like it. And, and it's like even when you talk to people that are like into keto and IF and stuff, like, look, I am uh, I'm certainly not above all that. Like I'm vegan since I've been back from America and I've like done reasonably well out of it. And it's, it's something that I've wanted to do for a long time, but I was kind of worried about the way that my – yeah, testosterone and stuff would react but mm-hmm. I want to give it a, a proper shot and that's kind of gone reasonably well yeah mm. yeah it's interesting I um, yeah we're, we're, yeah it's uh, it's funny I was just thinking about it while we were talking about that thing uh, that weight thing that I'm still kind of similar like the way that I think of myself like I look in the mirror and think that I'm still skinny but I weigh like 86, 87 kilos yeah you know like other people would probably be like oh he's a pretty hmm not big but like certainly not skinny yeah my height. but i still i still like i still think i still go that way you know i still it's kind of cool where we go to the gym as well that i think that's going to change anyways in the new premises but there's like no mirrors mm. so you're not really fixated on how you look you're fixated on what you're doing at the time yeah yeah do you know i've never i've never trained i've never had a membership at a gym with a, a mirror yeah. Because I trained my whole life from about 14 years of age till, sorry, well, from 14 to about 26, I trained mm. at the Rye Football Club gym. Oh, yeah. And I've never, I've never been a member of a regular gym, but I've trained three to five days a week for, since I was 14, pretty much. Yeah. Then I was at a CrossFit gym. I did CrossFit for a couple of years, then I started weightlifting and then powerlifting yeah. and weightlifting now. It's the same, same, but they're just the same. They're just big warehouses with people throwing bands around, not, not really any headphones in. Like, that's yeah. how I've always trained. So I actually walk into gyms now. I've always gone to like a drop-in at a gym, you know, like I've been to gyms, I've just never paid for a membership, you know, if I'm yeah, here yeah. or, or I'm, I'm visiting, I just want to get a day in and I'm whatever, you know, I've been there, but I walk into a regular gym now and I 
oh, man, I, I giggle to myself. I'm just yeah. like, fucking have a look at these crew. Like just staring at themselves in the mirror, doing the bicep curls and everyone's got their headphones in. Yeah. And I just, I just, I'm kind of like, man, I want to just go up and go, hey guys, it'd be way funner if you just, if it wasn't like this. It's yeah, the worst exactly. environment at the regular Globo gym. Like mm. it's not a community, you know, there's two, Mirrors are not good for anyone, you know. People yeah. go, "Oh, you want to see your form?" I think that's a fucking, that's a big, big, big lie. But yeah, yeah, interesting. So, you watching the footy today, anywhere? <clears throat> nah, no, <laughs> you're not. <laughs> no, nah, I was going to go to the gym after this. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to go in the morning. No, nah, I was cleaning the house and stuff. Ah, sweet. Not a big footy fan. Uh, no. Nah. <laughs> I'll, I'll watch Bathurst. Not what I was asking. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of, kind of retain some kind football. of masculin- masculinity. Watch, <laughs> yeah. watch cars burn around the track. Um, yeah, sweet. So, well, before we wrap it up, Nico. So, what's the? Um, if you were to say, you know, we thought everything that you're doing in the endurance racing, like, where would a, what would a, do you have any sort of goals or anything that you would like to achieve over the journey of this kind of mm. path? You're I on? feel like. Because uh, I, I know that I won't ever be able to do it forever. Yep. But because I know circumstances will change, but it's kind of like striking while the iron's hot. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll, I'll, I can manage one or two a year. So I'll keep doing it while everything kind of responds pretty well. So yeah. So I think, but yeah, there's definitely no, um, yeah. I had crazy goals when I was younger that I would try and go to Japan and get, um, in Japan, they have their their track cyclists have a, a thing called Kirin, which old Japanese people bet on. Yep. And um, you have to go to this school in Mount Fuji for eleven months, and it's like you live as a monk for eleven months, and then you become an employee of the state, kind of like a public servant, mm-hmm. and then you you race this. So I really wanted to do that for ages, but it was such a wild idea that it's like there was like first of all I had to learn Japanese, which I can't even speak English that well, and like to get a um, so there's a five year hurdle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, it was like just this, to get your foot in the door. <laughs> yeah, it's this crazy long term. Like it would have had taken like seven years to be able to do, and it was like I couldn't get a visa, so I would have had to have married a. Japanese person or like taken a like bought a Japanese company or started so it was like (laughs) yeah so like the logistics behind it was so mental we're about to become the Prime Minister of Japan yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. but it was like I spent six months of planning and I was like I'm going to do this because I had enough money I was like I've got enough money for the next 10-15 years that I can back myself to do this and it's like it's such a hard it would have been pretty much saying goodbye to everyone in my life for like yeah. the next 10 years to be able to do like just this one thing but I, I was quite determined to do it but yeah I think that was a goal that was slightly still possible but like the logistics behind it would have been yeah. it's easier riding across a country than it is to Learn Japanese, become a Japanese citizen, study in Japan, then get uh, make the requirements to like to get to this monk school in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, no, it sounds like the juice might not be worth the squeeze. The squeeze yeah, that one. Um, interesting. Okay, cool. So, um, anything you want to plug, Nico? Any any um any social media as well? Like, where can people find you? Find more about even if it's just the sport in general yourself. Yeah. Anything you want to plug? Um, probably. Well, all my stuff's on on Instagram under that underscore scary underscore Jew <laughs> is my um, yeah 
Curve Cycling is really good. So they're, they're kind of the universe which I do a lot of my stuff in. So if you have an interest in long-distance cycling, like their, their, their bike brand is based around the corner from here. And just what was the name of it again? Uh, it's called Curve. So Curve Cycling, right. yeah. So they do – so, yeah, if, you, if you're interested in like – yeah, they run a lot of races at their expense off off their own back, or do a lot of bike touring. But yeah, it's just kind of kind of swinging the leg over, and all right, well, let's I'll, let's just plan something out and see how that feels, and yeah, kind of go from there. Cool. All right. Well, that's about it, mate. I think. Yeah. Thanks cool, for man. Coming in. No, pleasure. That's a wrap. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that show, please subscribe. To subscribe, you can do it on all of your listening devices. You can subscribe at Bill Kurt TV at YouTube. And <laughs> that's it. Also, don't forget to support our sponsors, yeti.com.au forward slash bro. Check out trueprotein.com.au and use the code bro there for 10% off. And for 20 hours free, of virtual assistant services head to athena.co that's a-t-h-y-n-a dot co and use the code bro when you inquire alrighty see you next week